Hi, Ed Renfrew for Dallas again. If there's anyone who doesn't know what Dallas is, well, as we've always said, Dallas is the vacation of the future today. At Dallas, you get your choice of the vacation you want. There's medieval world, Roman world, and of course, West world. Let's talk to some of the people who've been there. Pardon me, sir. What is your name? Uh, Gardner Lewis. Just got back from Westworld. Tell us how you liked it, Mr. Lewis. When you played cowboys and Indians as a kid, you'd point your fingers and go bang, bang, and the other kid would lie down and pretend dead. Well, Westworld is the same thing, only it's for real. I, I shot six people. Well, uh, they weren't real people. What Mr. Lewis means is he shot six robots, scientifically programmed to look, act, talk, and even bleed, just like humans do. Now, isn't that right? Well, they may have been robots. I mean, uh, I think they were robots. I mean, I, I know they were robots. Yes, the robots of Westworld are there to serve you and to give you the most unique vacation experience of your life. Thank you, sir. Well, that was the opening dialogue to the movie Westworld, released in 1973 by MGM. And I would have played some music uh, for the opening, but there... There was no music at the opening of this of this movie, which was a which was kind of weird. It's a first for us. It's a it's an excellent movie to watch. Metro Goldwyn Mayer released it on November twenty first, nineteen seventy three, and uh, it was made on a budget of about one point three million, and it grossed box office wise ten million, and still counting. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from the Seattle area where we've had. 75 degrees and sun for the last few days, and I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a few more weeks of this. That'd be great. And I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, where our weather has been exactly the same as Seattle. And uh, for today, I was looking at the weather forecast. It's projected to be about the same within a degree or two between the two cities. You can find us by going to iTunes and uh, searching for classic movie reviews. And we have a website, which is www.classicmoviereviews.net and you can listen to the episodes on there and we have a listing of all of the episodes and I think this is number 38. Plus you can find us on our Facebook page. Yeah, just search in Facebook for Classic Movie Reviews and look for the logo of the film reel. You can also see a picture of Bob and myself on the Facebook. So I was looking at the poster, one of the posters for Westworld. I love how they uh, marketed it. The uh, poster at the top says, Boy, have we got a vacation for you. That may be the understatement of all time. <laughs> it's the last vacation <laughs> you'll, ever you'll, ever, you'll ever take. I wonder if they ever collected the money from the people that were there. Well, I think you had to pay you know, before you got before? on the hovercraft, I'm sure. And I don't even want to think about uh, what the lawsuits were at the end of that disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie uh, I think was the directorial uh, debut of Michael Crichton yeah he wrote the screenplay and then also directed it and he said in the, the making of a video that I watched that uh, I tried the idea of Westworld as a novel and it didn't work it's in some way you know, really a movie it, most of the fantasies about the wild west or about medieval Europe or about Imperial Rome, are movie fantasies. I mean, they're, they're not what people got from reading history books. They're what they got from looking at, at you know, Douglas Fairbanks and John Wayne and you know, that stuff. So, so in some strange way, it doesn't work on paper at all. It only works as images. The producer for the film was a gentleman by the name of Paul Lazarus III. 
something ironic in that name. There is the unfolds. Gil <laughs> Brenner is great in it. He 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 had such a wonderful career with uh, movies like The King and I back in the nineteen fifties. Uh, the Magnificent Seven. I think in this movie he was wearing the same outfit as he did in Magnificent Seven. James Brolin, who's gone on to have a great career, and Richard Benjamin, who turned to directing. I thought every scene that Yul Brenner was in, he just stole the, the scene. He was the best part of the movie for me. That first scene oh. when he walks into the bar and knocks the drink out of uh, Richard Benjamin's character's hand, Peter Martin. Sloppy with your drink. Give this boy a bib. Say something, boy. I said you talk too much. Man, he was so intense. You could feel the—you could just kind of feel the fear that went through Peter Martin at that point. Like, holy crap, who's this guy? And his eyes—they—they they use contact lenses that were reflective, and they—they they look like they're uh, lasers. Yeah, they were creepy. They were just like off enough. I mean, they looked just off enough to make you wonder and know that, you know, this is not a human being. And something bad is going to happen. I thought it was interesting that the only way you could tell if one of the robots was a robot or a person is by looking at their hands. They couldn't quite perfect the hands. Although at the end of the movie, we discovered that, that you could also tell if you ever offered them any water. I right. Water. I don't like to drink water. That shorts out that woman at the end, big time. I was thinking that um, as I watched this, and you mentioned it in your notes, it has a smallish feel to it. Like their their budget must have been what well, was one point three million, which is still pretty good in terms of today's dollars. But it almost at times felt like it was a, a television movie. Where the sets are don't have quite the production value of a of a major movie, and we may have spoiled ourselves with some of the movies that we've seen where the production values are so high. I couldn't decide if it was a budget issue or just sort of a imagination issue because I I thought what would be really cool would be if Westworld, you know, this Delos amusement park was huge. I mean, if you think of the size of uh, Disney World, something along those lines, and, and my imagination even went to the point of what if they were on an intergalactic starship and they were traveling to an, an entire planet that was like set up like this? They would spend months there, not, not weeks, but months, living out these lives of, of these other alter egos. And to me, I thought you could do that on the same budget. It would just be a different kind of a setup. To me, it felt more like a Disneyland versus a Disney World. It cries out for uh, a sequel to be made by James Cameron with today's science and technology. Yeah, I was doing some research on 
the connection between this movie and The Terminator, which was released in 1984, just 11 years after this movie, not very many years after. Uh, then I stumbled up across an article that was released in 2002 where Arnold Schwarzenegger said he was about to begin production on a Westworld remake where he would play the robot gunman. Of course, that never happened, and I thought it would be strange because he kind of already did that character as the Terminator, <laughs> I thought. I saw that quote, too. I also saw another uh, quote that uh, I think it's HBO in 2013 indicated that they were doing some... Yeah, August of 2013, HBO announced plans for a television series based on the original film. And I don't think that ever happened, either. I haven't no, I haven't seen anything more about that. There was a really a... cheesy uh, television uh, sequel called Beyond Westworld that was on the DVD, and I I couldn't watch it. It, it was just it was terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> that that's why it only lasted a short time. Yeah, I've also seen the sequel Future World, but again, it's long enough ago that I don't remember very much about it. But it was a good way to use those sets some more. The, the the early opening of the movie where the uh, television announcer, marketing guy, is interviewing people as they return from Westworld, uh, there was a lot of polyester clothing in, the, in those interviews. And it was, it was kind of like uh, true to what it was like 40 years ago with television reporting. Yeah, and, and uh, it really dated the movie to me. That, that scene really dated it because... The, the hairstyles, the clothing styles. Well, there are some of the comments of the people who just returned from Dallas. Why don't you make arrangements to take our hovercraft to medieval world, Roman world, and West world? Was it worth $1,000 a day? Contact us today or see your travel agent. Boy, have we got a vacation for you. The okie dokie, we just loved it here. Wow. Yeah, and then, but then they cut to a scene that was so futuristic feeling. 505-345-675, Delta 9. 505-345-675, Delta 9. Read you as Kappa 505-899. On the Y-axis, confirm a reading of Gamma 505-786. See if you have all that. Kappa 5 This is Devil's Control to Station 3. You're cleared on Vector 7-9-er. The next scene that they show is the hovercraft pilot, and it's a head-on scene of him mm-hmm. and the reflection of the uh, landscape underneath, like, f- going by, and it, lo- it was so cool. That was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It, it felt like something out of a comic book or graphic novel. It does. It really does. And the, the uh, hovercraft is quite futuristic looking when we see that. And I, I wondered at the time, are the flight attendants on the hovercraft, are they robots? I think they might be. I think they were. When, when everybody gets off of that, they do a close-up of one of the flight attendants and it looks kind of like a machine. They arrive at Delos and they're going on this little tram that was like right out of uh, Fantastic Voyage to their different worlds. So our, our main characters, Peter Martin and John Blaine, are going to Westworld. And then there's some people that are going to Roman world. And there's some people that are going to medieval world. And, you know, there's like the whole setup of the town. And we find out that, 
even the horses are robotic and you know all the animals in in the park are robots and it's set up so that you can't get hurt if you're a human being hey john how do i know i'm not going to kill another guest with this thing try it shoot me go on shoot Shoot! The gun has a sensing device. It won't fire at anything with high body temperature. Only something cold like a machine. Hmm. They thought of everything. There's like this kind of setup for for the for the West World, and then we get to a scene where John Blaine and Peter Martin are in the bar, and this gunslinger walks in and knocks the drink out of Peter Martin's hand. And it's Yul Brenner, and John Blaine, who's the character played by James Brolin, is goading Peter Martin on to say, "Kill him, kill him! Come on, don't let him get away with that." And I, I thought that was pretty interesting because uh, Peter Martin was really struggling with the idea of that he could actually shoot this thing that looked so yes. human, you know? He had qualms, but once he did it, he sort of got with the program. He did. He started to really enjoy it. And then later in the movie, way too much involvement <laughs> when he's being chased. I, I like the uh, quote that Chief Supervisor had about... Well, despite our corrections, the breakdown rate continued to climb. Then medieval world began to have trouble. Now we're seeing more Western world breakdowns. And there's a clear pattern here which suggests an analogy to an infectious disease process spreading from one resort area to the next. Perhaps there are superficial similarities to disease. It's only a theoretical concept. There are many ways to order that data. I must confess, I find it difficult to believe in a disease of machinery. But we aren't dealing with ordinary machines here. These are highly complicated pieces of equipment, almost as complicated as living organisms. In some cases, they've been designed by other computers. We don't know exactly how they work. And that becomes very evident in the Act 3. Yeah, that, that was a real key quote in the movie because the machines have been designing other machines and they've been maintaining themselves, basically. And this is the key to the whole unraveling of Westworld at the end. It I is, think. and it, I found it creepy because today it seems like a lot of the stuff is being designed and it becomes so sophisticated, it's hard to know if everybody has a handle on what's going on with it. So Yeah, I, I think that I was pretty that was... Uh, pretty prescient mm. for kind of where things are headed with technology. The other thing that, the other scene that I found really creepy was the the sex scene between Peter Martin and Arlette, played oh, by Linda Gay yeah. Scott. Oh. That was yucky, I thought. I, 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 I couldn't understand why he thought that was such a great thing. Like it's, it's a robot, you know, it's like, and she played it off so well. I thought she did a really good job as uh, playing kind of this sex bot. And as soon as I had the word sex bot in my head, then I started thinking about Austin Powers. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello, Mr. Powers. Hello, Mr. Powers. Hello, Mr. Powers. Care to have a little fun? Care to have a little fun? No, actually, I, uh, I have to save the world. 
<laughs> and the fembots. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned that. That's so true. That's so true. But she does a good job of, of as she leaves the room. You can tell she's a robot just by the way she leaves the room. And she says as she's leaving the room. I think you're very nice. Wasn't it terrific? Boy, machines are the servant of man. Wasn't that great? Not bad. Not bad. Now you're the big lover. Well, you know how it is. Some guys have a way with women. It was like this pre-programmed response. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was was creepy. The other thing that was kind of odd to me is like the horses in the movie... Most of them were robots, but when the gunslinger is chasing uh, Peter Martin, he's on a real horse, because when they stop up in that canyon, the horse, you can hear it breathing because of the running that they've been doing. So I, I, I guess the robot horses had run out of battery power. Maybe that was it. Uh, maybe that was just a continuity mistake, because I... Like, I I had the feeling that all the animals in the in the park were robots because even the robots. even the snake that bit uh, John Blaine was a robot. That was a good scene when they cut that snake snake open and you could see the inner workings of it. Yeah, all the little uh, electronic parts. The other thing was the visual uh, effect when Yul Brenner was uh, was trying to scan to find uh, Peter Martin or any other living human being. The pixels, that was the first time that was used in a movie, that kind of a view. That was a great effect. And that really, it again, was. made me think of the Terminator where he's got that heat vision kind of uh, effect that he uses. And for me, it, it was reminiscent of the first Predator movie where he could find the uh, humans by their heat sensors. Oh, yeah. But yeah. by the heat that they that they uh, emitted. I liked the uh, some of the scenes in the control room as, as things are kind of uh, hitting the fan, so to speak. Uh, even as even as stuff is hitting the fan, some of the controllers are saying things like, I have sound now, thank you very much. Yes, I want scrambled eggs and bacon, cinnamon toast. Do you have cinnamon toast? Another guy's talking about his laundry's late. You know, it's like, they did it, I thought that made it seem like, yeah, this is just another day at the office, you know, controlling all these uh, nearly sentient robots. <laughs> and then when they shut the power off, Somebody in the design forgot to leave an escape hatch for anybody inside the control room. <laughs> and they ended up and dying. It's a little late. They all died <laughs> from asphyxiation. And the the equipment for 1973 was state-of-the-art. But today, when I look at that, it's like, oh, my goodness sakes, all those tape machines and the blinking lights. All those science fiction movies from the 70s and even into the early 80s and definitely going back to the 60s had those flashing, blinking lights on the on the control panels and it was like what i know what are those lights telling you what is i mean it's flashing yellow it's flashing orange it's you know it's like does anybody know what any of those lights mean (laughs) as far back as uh as 19 i think 1954 spencer tracy and audrey hepburn made a movie called the desk set and spencer tracy is a computer wizard in this office and there are those big blinking lights. And that's like 60-some years ago. So those lights must have had some purpose. <laughs> they just look cool. And there were now. a lot of them. Yeah. 
I, I thought that the entire chase scene with the gunslinger and Peter Martin was awesome. There's a, a few scenes in there that are so reminiscent of the scene of scenes in Terminator. And I just wanted to point a couple of them out. There's the scene when Peter Martin rides his horse down to kind of the valley floor and he runs into one of the maintenance workers whose little yes. cart is broken down. Hey, don't shoot me. Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter with you? Hold out your hands. Let me see your hands. You're a guest. You really gave me a scare. Look, uh, everything's broken down. The machines have gone crazy. You know about the machines? Yeah, I repair them. There's one chasing me now, a gunslinger. Gunslinger. Must be a Model 404, maybe a 406. He's a 406. He's got all the sensory equipment. <laughs> it's a beautiful machine. He's after me! I don't doubt it. What can I do? There's nothing you can do. If he's after you, he'll get you. You haven't got a chance. There must be something. Fella, don't kid yourself. There are things you could try. Acid for his uh, visual system. Noise for his hearing. No matter what you did, he'll always be one jump ahead of you. You haven't got a chance. And he's right about that, because then he gets it. There's a scene in The Terminator when Kyle Reese, played by Michael Bean, basically tells uh, Sarah Connor that he's unstoppable. The Terminator's unstoppable. The Terminator's an infiltration unit. Part man, part machine. Underneath it's a hyper-alloy combat chassis. Microprocessor controlled. Fully armored. Very tough. But outside it's living human tissue. Flesh, skin, hair, blood grown for the cyborgs. Look, Reese, I don't know what you want Pay attention! I gotta ditch this car. The 600 series had rubber skin. We spotted them easy. But these are new. They look human. Sweat, bad breath, everything. Very hard to spot. I had to wait till he moved on you before I could zero him. Look, I am not stupid, you know. They cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. He's the latest and greatest generation of robots, and there's no way that we're going to be able to stop him. Or there's very little chance. And that was like really like similar. And then there's the music. So when there's a when uh, Eul Brenner, the gunslinger, is going through Roman world. I mean, most of the music is kind of a Western <clears throat> theme, but then when he's yes. walking through the Roman world, it turns into this like marching sort of driven music that's just like. <clears throat> gonna get you 
And that's just exactly like the music in the Terminator, uh, where it's kind of like the theme music for the the, the Terminator. certainly matched the scene well the music when he was when he was on his hunt even as he as he really got on his search his eyes got even scarier they seemed to glow when he was walking under underground in that yeah they had a they had a reddish kind of glow to him yeah Yeah, definitely and did you did it did it creep you out when yule brenner shot john blaine your move I'm shot. What? I'm shot. John? Oh, my God. And then he smiled afterwards, and he says, Draw. Yes, (laughs) that was really... That was perfect. And that's when old... Richard Benjamin started running away. And after after the scene where uh, the gunslinger shoots that technician on the desert floor, Richard Benjamin had a line because the, the technician said, there's no way you can stop him. And there was a pause and Richard Benjamin said, yes, I do. Yeah, he had, he had some idea, I guess, of how he was going to stop this thing. And my takeaway from that was he figured that with a human brain, he could outthink the machine's brain because he would come up with things that had not been programmed for the machine. That was what I was thinking that he had in mind, that he would figure out a way to do this thing in, and which he, kinda, he did. He kind of did because he uh, gets to that castle and there's all those uh, torches. He kind of quickly figures out that if he stands next to one of the torches that the robot can't see him because of the heat generated by yeah, the torch the, is so hot. that totally confusing. He was blinded. And Yul Brenner did a great acting job of of looking confused by that. He did, know? he did, and he kept looking at all these flames, and he couldn't tell what was going on. Uh, Yul Brenner in the behind the scenes video said that I've really got the classical westerner played by a highly developed machine. Therefore, the reactions may not be necessarily human. Now, three times he gets severely, severely damaged by the character that Dick Benjamin plays. And something goes wrong because the programming is so sophisticated that he finally cannot stand it to be constantly shot and he starts killing. He starts repeating what his enemy did. Then he starts smiling. The closer he gets to killing, the more he starts feeling warm and become more of a human being. Draw. (laughs) 
Oh my God. I mean, they don't say this in the movie, but he says it in the interview that basically the robot had gotten tired of being killed over and over and over again, and he had enough, and he figured it was his turn to have some fun. And wow. so there, there was, a, I guess, in the script or in talking with Michael Crichton, this idea that they actually did become self-aware. Like, the only way that the robot would think that would be to be self-aware of the fact that he's being killed right. over and over again. Right. Yeah. A machine would not have any sense of that. And that brought back to mind some parts of Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. You know, with, where they were self-aware. The Rudger Howard character near the end when he was describing how he... I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain time to die that that uh that's more than what a machine would be able to do i would think so this movie is kind of a forerunner to a whole host of movies later the Terminator series, Blade Runner. The original kind of idea for this was from Harlan Ellison, and he had a he's a, a famous science fiction writer of and he had a Twilight Zone episode where a future soldier from sixty years in the future gets sent back in time. And that kind of is reminiscent of the Terminator, but he's also uh there's also another story, I'm not sure if it's the same one or another one where he's there's an indestructible robot that's out to get people. And so there's a little bit of both of those in Westworld and the Terminator. And they in the Terminator, there was a lawsuit from Harlan Ellison saying that you didn't give me credit for this idea. So they put a credit at the end of that movie saying, you know, we, we acknowledge the yeah. work of Harlan Ellison. Uh, and I, but I think there's a lot of uh, new ideas that Michael Crichton came up with in this movie, sort of the sentient robot that uh, becomes self-aware and, and starts taking out people. I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. And I just wish that they dreamed a little bit bigger. I think even with the budget they had, they could have made it feel bigger. And that was my only real complaint about kind of the set design and the, the directing and the writing is it just felt a little small. For, for the idea. I, I agree with that. I, I think this is a movie that, at least for me, if it came out in a new version with all the uh, special effects that are available today and the technology, I think it could be a home run. I think I really so. Do. I thought the acting overall was really good. I thought, of course, Yul Brenner was, was amazing. He did a really good job. James Brolin, I thought, did a good job portraying his character. I felt like Richard Benjamin was a little bit weak, and I'm not sure if that was his supposed to be his character or just his acting, but it felt a little light for, for the role. And I guess kind of near the end, he did take on a bit more weight as he was evading the, the robot. 
And I really like Dick Van Patten as the kind of I know. <laughs> nerdy desk jockey kind of character who ends up becoming sheriff. And he really liked his role as sheriff for, for as long as it lasted, which wasn't very long. It <laughs> Was, wasn't very long. And he looked just like the character that he played for uh, a, a lot of uh, seasons on television. I can't think of the name of the... Eight is uh, enough. Eight is enough. That's yeah. the one, yeah. I mean, he, he looked less like a sheriff than... Uh, just about anybody I could imagine. But <laughs> so, as, as with everybody at Westworld and the rest of that place, they were gone. Basically, only the only character that survived was Peter Martin. The, the one I, I like the ending and the way it ends where he's uh, Peter Martin's character sitting on the steps near exhaustion and shock. And then the uh, slogan for Delos resonates. Why don't you make arrangements to take our hovercraft to medieval world, Roman world, and Westworld? Have we got a vacation for you, vacation for you, 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 uh, starts out in future world, which I just don't remember. Maybe that's where they pick up and go on. Well, kind of, it would have been neat if they would have pulled back like a shot of company vehicles or something arriving to the town and just seeing everybody dead. You know, that in would have been kind of cool, like yeah. just to give it a little bit bigger context. But again, I think this all fits into this idea that the movie feels kind of small, and I wanted more. Who knows? Maybe, maybe there will be a remake at some point. Let's hope. Well, I gave it a uh, 6.5 on a 10 scale. Using, <laughs> yeah, I'm between a 6 and a 7. Parts of it are even higher than that at an 8. The, the smallness of it and the claustrophobic feel of it kind of brought me back to... The, I, I, if I had to land on a number, I'd go with 7. I was at a 7 as well. I I think it's it's got some really innovative ideas. It laid the groundwork for some movies that came out later. It's still inspiring people today did i did you see that youtube video where the guy created a statue of yul brenner yes, that had the I actual did. face that could remove and there were electronics inside that was cool so i think that it's a movie that inspired movies that came later that were better than this movie but maybe those movies wouldn't have been the same without this movie coming first yeah i think a seven is is about where i landed as well it's a good one though for our four-part uh science fiction movie from the 60s and 70s isn't it it is which it is, is my and segue I, to our next one i, I can't wait to watch logan's, logan's run, run. I, I think that's going to be a really fun one to review because <laughs> there's some do real you have cheesy the year scenes that, that that was that do you have the year that that was released i think it was 76 76 yeah so that and we've even done these in sequence well, that was the plan. 71, 73, and 76. I'd lost track. So I love the description of Logan's run. In the year of the city, 2274, humans live in a vast domed metropolis where computerized servo mechanisms provide all needs so everyone can pursue endless hedonism. Because <laughs> that's, that's the goal in life, right? <laughs> it's like a weekend in New Orleans at Mardi Gras. It's kind of like visiting Westworld. That's true. Oh, well, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that movie, you know, Logan's Run, in a long, long time. I may not have seen it since 1976. 
actually. This is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, wishing you a really good week of movie watching. And This is Matt Johnson coming to you from Seattle. And just want to say thanks for listening. And yeah, have a great week of movie watching, everyone. Wikipedia stuff, and I've read about James Cameron. Man, there's a ton of stuff on him. Seems Did like... you read the part where he had three desks set up back in the 80s, and he was working on three different screenplays at the same time? He'd move from desk to desk. Wow. No, I didn't hear. I didn't read about that. That's that's kind of... I could totally see that. I, I would do that if I was that busy. I like having a lot of different workspaces. And I read... where I Yeah, I love that when I when we had our offices together. I also read that he's he's rated by Entertainment Weekly as the third smartest person in Hollywood uh, films. I don't know who number one and two are. I didn't read the list. Well, not only is he a great director, and probably I think he's the highest grossing director of all time. But then he also said, he went out and did that scientific expedition to find the Titanic and explore the Titanic. Yeah, and he wants to go up into space with the uh, as, as one of the first passengers when they commercialized space travel oh my gosh and he said in one of his quotes that he uh decided he didn't want to be a truck driver anymore after he saw star wars he was a it truck driver yeah he, he, he drove a truck he, he came to holly came to los angeles and as the story goes and what i was reading he uh drove a truck to support for for you know to support himself but then he went into the uh, movies i just watched wars. star wars the episode four last night and I was interested to see that movie compared to Westworld, and then I was thinking about Terminator a lot and kind of how much movie-making changed from 1973 oh, wow. to 1977 and then 1984. It was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, light years of change. And, and then today, I mean, with uh, Avatar, oh, my goodness. 
That was amazing. 